But I hate when I feel like this And I never hated you Neurotica is a weekly podcast going to the deepest, darkest parts of the mind and bringing them to light. Topics range on mental illness, behavior, and perception, and more. Please be warned, many episodes contain trigger warnings. If you ever have thoughts of suicide, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Hey everybody, welcome to Neurotica. My name is Cody Ryan. I'm your host as always. I'm here with my co-host, Bobby Pitchfork McGee. Uh, Bobby, how are you doing today, aka Booby Styles? I'm doing pretty well, Cody. Feeling good. Uh, I didn't. Are just, you feeling good? I didn't just fuck up my shoulder at the gym at all, so don't even ask me. No, about no it. feel free to tell that entire story, Bobby. Okay. I was doing something. No, I'm kidding. It's just, Bobby has a shoulder injury and thinks that it's okay to do shoulder workouts still. Uh, but I'm going to throw it over to Bobby. We the have a guest today. is that I go to not, the gym. Yeah, we don't need to talk about Bobby's gym routine much longer. I know we're not a podcast that likes to, to get into the fodder. We like to get right into the meat. So we don't want you guys waiting any longer for our guest. So I'm going to throw it to Bobby because I know this is an episode he's particularly excited about, especially as a basketball fan and everything. So Bobby, take it away. Yeah, so uh, we're here today with Max Rappaport, uh, former, uh, formerly of at Sixers on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if you can give him the full attribution. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, all me. Uh, he, yeah. he was uh, formerly did social media for the Sixers, and he's currently a co-host of the Step Over podcast uh, on SB Nation uh, with Jim Adair. Uh, welcome, Max. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. And obviously, you know, like, um, you know, you're not obviously involved with the Direct Sixers account anymore, but you're still a fan. You still get to do that podcast with Jim. So we're really excited to have you, even though you're actually our first um, Skype in. Um, We have never had a uh, guest from any other location than wherever we're recording from. So we've we've been live. We've we've been uh, to the National Liberty Museum, which is a very odd place. So next time you're in Philly, don't go there. Um, but you are, I, if I'm not mistaken, residing in Seattle, Washington right now. So it's our first, uh, I am in Seattle. First transcontinental neurotica episode. That's a big accomplishment. First question. How do you feel about the hockey team being named the Kraken and not the Sockos? Oh man. I'm really upset. Uh, also did the two of you think that is Kraken plural or singular? Is it like Kraken, like Bigfoot, like it's one thing? Or is Kraken a type of sea creature, mythical sea creature, and Kraken is like uh, moose? I guess Ooh. I thought Yeah, that's I guess I question. thought that it was like there is one Kraken, so yeah. it wouldn't even, the plural wouldn't exist. But I guess if I was saying, oh, uh, there's a herd of Kraken, I would probably just say Kraken is plural as well, like deer. Yeah, we're going to do more research on this and totally uh, tweet out our findings like we always do when we say we're going to follow up with something. Yes, um, very good no, but that's that. a good point. I, I, I like the Kraken name. Part of me doesn't want them to get the Sonic out because I still do hold out hope that Sonic will return to, to Seattle uh, once we get rid of the Knicks. Any of them. Uh, Orlando, <laughs> the Knicks. Sacramento could stay. They're just rooting for Zion. Ooh, that'd be a good I want, one. I want the Pelicans to come up. Yeah, that'd be a good that one. Cool. Uh, I really you don't want, want Charlotte. Be... That would be a rough. That'd be a rough trade. I really want it to be the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the Knicks. It would be 
hilarious on a lot of levels, but and they, and they still have flexibility. But man, if you guys got Charlotte, that would that'd be a real hit. But uh, yeah, so Bobby, I know you had some specific questions because you wanted to talk to Max about his new job, actually. Um, so I'm gonna let you take it away. Um, you wanted to talk about you know kind of how he's moved past the Sixers world and how he's a little bit of a traitor to us. I think you were saying I I don't really know what you're talking about before. Um, so that's not what I said, but I did have some questions about that realm. Um, as a guy who considers himself like kind of a writer, but sees that that is not going to really be my professional path forward, uh, most likely you've done some writing, uh, for Bleacher Report and among other places, as well as being involved, as I said earlier, uh, with six or social media team, but now you are a therapist. Is that correct? I am a therapist. Have you had therapists on before? Or am I your first Skype and your first actual therapist? You are are also first therapist that is licensed. Wow. We probably had plenty of people say they're licensed therapists. Um, but yeah, we <laughs> we uh, we know Max through mutual channels. I met Max actually the last night of Adobe. Uh, I don't know where Bobby had met him. And obviously, you know, Bobby and I have, hung out with Jim, like on and off, you're a little closer to Jim than I am. But, you know, it was just kind of this interesting, um, you know, meeting that we had. And I said to you, like, yeah, like I do this podcast with Bobby and you would do mental health. And you were like, yeah, I'm a therapist now. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I knew you went back to school because obviously I was a Sixers fan and I followed the account. But, you know, you kind of caught me off guard. And I, you know, I said to Bobby, I was like, did you know Max is a therapist? I was like, no. I was like, uh, uh, we need to have this guy on because we were like ready to pitch to you just like, what's it like being the Sixer social media guy when there's <laughs> trades aren't happening and people are mad at you? And we'd love to hear that. But, you know, you made a transition of being very like in the public eye of being that person who is like kind of the target of everybody going like, ah, you guys suck or you guys are great. <laughs> and then kind of going more to something more private of just like, you know, I, I'm not going to assume what you do therapy wise, because I know there's single therapy and obviously group, but like, obviously something a little bit more intimate than tweeting out to all the Sixers fans and else of the world. Now a question. Yeah. Now, now just my clients tell me I'm trash yeah, yeah. in person. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This sucks. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, my, my question is when you were going to college for undergrad, did you have thoughts of like going into the field that you're in now or when you were in college were you thinking sort of like I am that you're going to be a writer you're going to be around the NBA in some capacity um like what did you go to school for undergrad and what was your mindset at the time yeah so I actually majored in psychology it was kind of like I'd, I'd switch between a lot of things I came in uh political science I did like international relations for a little bit I was actually never on the journalism track um it was something that I did on the side like I did some stuff for like school newspaper uh radio station I was a huge sports fan um and did some stuff around that like some Eagles stuff um but yeah, it was. I went to school. I probably my sophomore year, I switched to psychology and thought I was going to do that. Um, ended up doing that, but like graduated, didn't know what I wanted to do. Was like doing the twenty-two year old thing of like, am I going to go teach English in another country <laughs> or like do Teach for America or <laughs> go live at home for a while because I didn't have a job and I I didn't know if I wanted to go back to grad school and it's like a huge decision and there are a lot of different routes you can take. Like you can get a master's or a PhD or 
whatever. And it, I just wasn't sure if I wanted to go clinical, if I wanted to do research. So like I took that time off and like ended up kind of falling into an internship um, with the Eagles based on some of the work I'd done before. Um, and kind of just like, honestly, I rode the wave of the two lockouts, like the, the NFL lockout happened. Um, I'd interned like over the summer for the Eagles, um, in the past and like the lockout lifted, they were opening training camp and I was living in DC at the time where I went to school and, um, I was probably like the eighth person they asked, but they (laughs) reached out and were like, can you start in two days? Like, just like full season, like just here you know, I, as an intern and I was like, yeah, fuck it. So I just, I just moved up to Philly, did that. Um, the NBA was locked out. They lifted the, and like during that they weren't hiring anyone. So like, and new owners took over. So like it all kind of fell into place. And I honestly thought the internship was something that I was going to do, you know, the Eagles internship I do until like December, January, whenever the season ended and then go back to grad school the following fall. And like figure out the rest. So like a gap um, year. But once I got the job with the Sixers, yeah, kind of. And like once once the Sixers thing came through, like I kind of just rode with that. And I think for a while, totally like put psychology on the back burner. And like once I got that job, I just was like, all right, I'm doing this forever, I guess, because uh, it was awesome and like something I dreamed of doing. But uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But like later, just f- for a bunch of reasons, felt like this isn't what I want to be doing, and I. I kind of it was natural to to go back to psychology honestly well so that's really funny and i i don't want to make this episode too much about myself but it actually leads to my first connection to max which is actually a little bit the reverse of the path that he was taking in school is i went into college undecided but one of the first classes i took was psychology and it was by far my worst class like i just had trouble reading and you know like taking it in i i don't know if it was a maturity thing or just my own struggles with mental health and stuff like that but it it very much felt like i was kind of like that person who was like oh i'm gonna take psychology i'm gonna fix myself and then i'll fix other people and they always say like yeah a lot of people get drawn to psychology because they have mental health issues but i realized it wasn't for me so what i did was i kind of took that year and i got drawn towards the business school and somebody had mentioned to me um senior year of high school while i was managing our high school basketball team, which was very terrible. I saw like three wins in the two years I was there. Um, the coach was very angry at us. He went on to coach uh, Dante DiVincenzo, though. So his life got better. Ours didn't. Um, uh, I think Jay Wright actually specifically praises him on DiVincenzo's Villanova page. If you go back, it actually references the coach that once drove me home because I missed a bus that the team took. And complained about his missing his fantasy draft, but apparently I saved his fantasy draft because there was traffic and the bus drove down, broke down or something. I don't know. Very weird story. Uh, I digress. Um, but basically, I wanted to do sports, and I knew it. Like that's all I really wanted to do. And I went into finance because finance for me was a little bit like that safe option. I was always good at numbers. I always enjoyed it, but I wanted to go in sports, and I specifically wanted to be the guy who could learn either capology or could join the Eagles and, you know, help them with the green initiatives and help them grow it from like a financial perspective. And my dream job was one day becoming a CFO of the, you know, one of the teams in Philadelphia or one of the teams that I might move to a city. So, you know, really, you know, Max 
um, you kind of saying you like fell into it. I, I was seeking it very heavily. And I remember very specifically that, you know, for me, the big thing, uh, my big break was the 76ers decided that they were going to acquire a, uh, at the time, a D league team. Now they call it the G league. And they decided they were going to not only station it in Delaware, they were going to be playing out of my school's, uh, gym where they no longer play. And they've now been, they're no longer the Delaware 87ers, they're the Blue Coats. But here's the thing. I was a junior. You're supposed to technically do an internship for this program as a senior, no matter what. So I was going to have to do my internship, but they require you to have 90 credits. So I basically, basically did a winter session to force to get myself to the 90 credits so I could be in on the inaugural season. And then they put me as a PR intern... And sometimes when you're a PR intern, you have to write things in the um, the, the the little book they give out to everybody for like, the game program. I was writing up mm-hmm. like things on Thanasis Antetokounmpo, and I'm like trying not to reference his brother too much. But that long-winded story brings me to my connection to Max, my first time ever plagiarizing Max, when I was told to write a game preview, and I said. I don't know how to do that. And then my boss said, well, here's what they do at the Sixers and sends me a link of Max Rappaport preview a game. And I basically just copied your template to a T. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I had no clue. What I, I probably was doing. copied someone else's yeah, template. I had no honestly. Clue what I was doing. So I was just like, and I tried to like connect with you on LinkedIn. And I realized there is no way I can convey anything to Max that will make him understand why I'm important to connect with on LinkedIn. Also, I did not at the time even comprehend like your own life. Now understanding that, you know, the Sixers thing for you wasn't like, you know, your lifelong dream. It was something you kind of fell into that was awesome. And now you kind of get to do both. You get to do that, you know, life dream that you had and the one that, you know, was kind of fun for a bit, but still podcast. So I was kind of curious, you know, segueing back to your life, that balance, like, do you feel like, you know, having that balance, really is what you were kind of hoping for or are you still kind of working it out and thinking you know it could still change in life yeah so like honestly i feel like my path wasn't the path was different but i grew up like wanting to be a general manager or like work in operations for the eagles and later the sixers like that was like my dream and when i was like 15 or 16 i think probably like after conversations with my parents decided like okay this probably isn't going to happen for me like so that's that's how uh, you realistically my finance major is your uh psychology major but yeah i do work in finance but it sounds like you're a little bit more you know passionate about psychology than most anybody who works in finance because you can't really get that excited about numbers um even though i like my job <laughs> like <laughs> right so um so that was kind of the thing i like oh go ahead Bobby. no no you, you continue please no, I was, I was going to say, like, yeah, so I, I, it was kind of out of, no, I wouldn't say utility, because I, I really had a passion for it and came back to it. But, like, I just had kind of ridden off the possibility that sports would ever be an avenue for me. And then when it opened up, it was like, oh, my God, I got to take this opportunity. And then, like, very quickly realized, like, oh, this was kind of like a fluky thing. <laughs> like, I, you know, I started looking for other work at some point, because I'd been with the Sixers for a while and, like, wanted something different for a lot of reasons. And it's just like a, the sports and journalism, it's just like, and media in general, it's just like fucking hard to, to make it and get by. And like, that was, 
it was like a combination of things, but I think that too, I was like, oh, actually this dream is really hard to yeah. to fulfill and like fulfill it in a way that is balanced because my life was like completely imbalanced when I worked for the Sixers. It was like a dream in all the ways that, you know, working for the team you grew up watching would be, but like I was working crazy hours, like had no time for family and friends. My mental health was awful. Like it was, I look back and I'm like, oh, this is a cool thing that I did, but I don't think I was necessarily happy when I was doing it. Yeah. Or satisfied. I, so so it was kind of like your version of moving to China uh, to teach English for four years. <laughs> like it was, when, yeah, kind when of, am yeah. I ever going to get another chance to be in my mid-20s and like work in this area that I have such passion for and have always like in the back of my mind dreamed of working on. And now, I mean, it's tough. You get older, you don't have all that energy and like optimism um, about making it in the field. And I feel like what you're doing now is like the perfect balance. Like you found an- another calling where you do real good and you also can scratch that like sports itch uh, by doing the pod with Jim. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of want to mirror some of the things you said, <clears throat> though, too, even like as an intern, you know, obviously not getting paid and expecting to be like every game night and stuff. And I didn't run the social media account. Thank God. Cause I'm borderline dyslexic sometimes. And anybody seen my social media probably understands why I'm not on it right now. Um, well, at least Twitter wise, my Facebook's a dumpster fire. Um, but like there were, there was nights where I were like, man, I kind of miss those nights. I remember I met Sam Hinkie and he came to one of our games, but he clearly didn't watch it because he had other things going on and stuff <laughs> like that. But he was very humble, and it, it was like he missed out on Norvell Pell. No, I did not actually. No, Sam I Hinkie. had Norvell. No, I, I meant he. No, yeah. Sam, Sam Hinky yeah, missed did. out. He wasn't watching. Yeah, no. That's the funny <laughs> thing was that that actually is another connection I have is I Norvell. Like I remember going to the um like Alfred I. DuPont uh, Children's Hospital in Delaware and watching Norvell Pell in a coloring book at 18 years old and I'm older than him. And I'm like, come on, Norvell, we got to go. And then I saw him on the streets of Philly and I was like, dude, congrats on the contract and everything. Like, it was kind of weird, but I remember looking back to his nights and like, remember meeting Sam Hinkie and seeing he, he wasn't the robot everybody said he was. Like, he was actually a very nice guy. Like, I was starstruck and he said... Yeah. Hey, I'm Sam Hinky. Nice to meet you. Like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm Cody. I'm an intern. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm a big fan. And he goes, still a lot of work to do. Like, that was like still like his second season or first season. And he was like, you know, he was yeah. still doing the long range. And uh, it was in the middle of the season where Lonzo Brown was going up and down 95 every single day. And I'm starting to think that Sam Hinky, uh, I hope I'm not like, revealing something really big here on the podcast a, a big rumor i think sam hinky might legitimately just hated lorenzo brown because uh at one point he was talking to one of the assistant coaches and he goes or at first he goes where is zo and i go i think he's signing autographs and he kind of was like what and then i somebody he asked one of the assistant coaches how did he do and the assistant coach said a lot of turnovers and sam just kind of chuckled and said typical and i was like oh shit sam hinky's talking all this shit on zo brown and i was like well, he's not in the league anymore, so at least he didn't make a burner account with his wife or something. I don't know. But I you know, I got to meet a lot of those cool people and stuff like that, but it also sucked being a junior in college and it's Friday and Saturday night and we have a back to back and it's snowing and you're like, you know, I'm in the fucking parking yeah. lot of my school's gym that I've already been to a bunch of other times and 
less people show up for that. And like, honestly, everybody, you know, the big draw to my school at the time, if you're in the Bob Carpenter Center, was Elena Deladon, who is now like, you know, one of the biggest stars of the WNBA. And we loved her and I've met her and she's one of the greatest people in the world. But it's just like the 87ers were, you know, kind of that new crop of teams that was like, when teams started taking seriously, like, okay, we're going to develop from the bottom. And um, we were actually considered one of the better teams just for like fan entertainment. So that was always kind of cool. And one of the people that I worked with eventually got a job with the Eagles as a, um, I think she's like a coordinator of like the, she was always our in arena events coordinator. And I think she got a job with, you know, like the halftime shows and stuff of the Eagles and she got the ring. So, grass to her, Super Bowl 52. And that's one thing people don't realize. If you actually work for a team, you will get a ring. I think, like, each team decides if it's probably part-timers or full-timers. But, like, yeah, work for the team, they win a championship. Where that cutoff is. It doesn't matter how many minutes you play. You still get a ring. And I was like, you know, really, like, hey, can you give me a job at Eagles now? Like, you know, if they're going to go back-to-back, can I get in there? But, you know, I, I was definitely, you know kind of miscast too. I was a PR person. I wanted to do finance. I talked to all the finance people, got to meet the VP of finance at Sixers, nicest guy in the world. And then finally, you know, I kind of given up on my dream. They put up a financial analyst position that I was frankly overqualified for, not to toot my own horn, apply for it and find out that the man that I had emailed had just retired. Uh, so that, that was, that was my <laughs> Sixers dream dying and I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. So I, I think, finances where I like to be and then you know I scratch more my mental health itch with the podcast and you know and then I have Bobby along here who's looking like he uh is having some mental health troubles right now with his shoulder that is in a lot of pain yeah um so I had a question about the intersection between your life in the NBA um you know at least in that world and your life as a student uh majoring in psychology and now as a therapist um in the last year or so the mba has at least outwardly really embraced um mental health pro like mental health messaging you know what i mean uh mm-hmm. behind mostly kevin love um not demar demar derozan a little bit but not as much but i'm not sure if it overlaps exactly but when you were either a student or having graduated when um, Royce White and Delonte West were on the fringe of NBA news for their mental health struggles, um, can you just, like, tell me if you thought about that kind of stuff at all, like, through the lens of your education and, like, wanting to do this eventually, maybe? Or, like, like how did you feel about the yeah. way the NBA uh, handled those two? Well, I think it's funny because right before right before you mentioned Royce White, I, I he came to mind because it really stands out how differently, like you said, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, like when they've come out recently and talked about mental health and even like Embiid a few years back when he talked about like after a second injury, like wanting to just quit, right, and being depressed. Like I just think back to the Royce White year, which I, I was there for that I man, I wouldn't call it the year he was there for like training camp and nothing else, but the reaction to Royce White was so negative was like, this guy doesn't 
care. He's like just milking this. He doesn't feel like traveling uh, as if someone would choose to to, you know, not to, to not pursue an MBA, you know, a professional career in basketball and would, you know, milk a. Uh, yeah, the lucrative yeah, training camp of, like, contract. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah. And then, yeah. Like, he's and, so and, like, lazy that he doesn't want to fly to road games or something like that. Yeah. And he was. And I, yeah, and even like Brandon Brooks is like a li- like you get a little bit of that, but like even just the way Brandon Brooks has been received in Philly, especially and with the Eagles, I feel like it's been so much better than like I've I've been surprised how well that's gone over, and I think it like speaks to uh, kind of the change in culture that's happened. I think like in the U.S. more generally, especially among younger people, to like take care of them, <laughs> their mental health and and not look at going to therapy or taking medication or just self-care as a weakness right do you think that um and obviously i'm this question is going to reveal what i think about it do you think that royce white would have been accepted differently if he had messaged um himself differently because he was very outspoken in what i believe was righteously so uh about his mental health struggles and about the fact that the mba was not doing anything to help them do you think that if he had like tried to act meeker or something like that it would have been different or do you think no one was just ready for it at all and the fact that he was loud and outspoken just did him no favors i think you're right that that i think that that compounded and i think that made it you know it reminds me like i guess a little bit of like the colin kaepernick situation right it's like there are probably things colin kaepernick could have done after the fact to like quote unquote patch things up but like he didn't want to do that and he didn't want to sacrifice that and I think for Royce White it was similar in that he was like I'm not gonna you know I'm gonna call this out because it's bullshit and it's like league-wide and and more generally in society is like something that's not taken like mental health is not taken as seriously as any other medical condition that you would have yeah um so I think I think he cared enough about that to not sacrifice that but I think you're right that if he'd been willing to, you know, shut up and dribble, he probably would have made a team somewhere and they would have tried to make it work. Yeah. At least for a year or two. I think we all probably respect him more for going about it the way that he does, but it's a shame that, you know Yeah, and I that I, he had to make that sacrifice. And I remember at the time, you know, trying to be a, a Royce White defender, uh, because I was like, Well, I've had anxiety before. You just you just don't know until you had it. And I remember when they were talking about Kevin Love, when he came out, he's like, I'd never had this feeling before, so I never knew what I was going through. And when I f- finally had it, it's like, there's no going back. You you understand so many more people, so many so many more yeah. ways, because like once you have that moment and you think, wow, that somebody in the world, like without their control, this happens in every day. Cause it's not like anybody who's had one panic attack ever was like expecting it, let alone the people who have it every day. But I also remember, you know, and it, one thing that still dismays me a little bit and we can still get better at is Royce White was young. He was, you know, a rookie. He was a project. It, he hadn't earned his spot yet. So we get a, a little bit more leeway to, you know, the Kevin loves and not to discount anything about their stories, but you know, even Brandon Brooks, though, he did get, you know, some people were pretty negative to start, but it became yeah. a more positive thing. And I was really proud of my city for doing that. Um, but, you know, obviously, if LeBron comes out tomorrow and says, 
yeah, I've had anxiety and depression. A lot of people are going to now all of a sudden be mental health advocates where at the same time, some guy who's a rookie on like the Warriors who we played last night as the Sixers and they have the worst record in the league. And that guy's just hoping that he can impress the team enough that when Steph and Clay are back that he sticks around. Like if he comes out and goes, well, I have a lot of anxiety, so I can't play this game. They're going to be like, well, you're just that guy who's holding Steph Curry's place anyway. Get the fuck out of here. You know, like. I can't say for sure that they would do that. I would understand. I would, you know, hope that San Francisco as a progressive state would, you know, understand his, or, you know, in a progressive state and being a progressive city would understand that. But at the same time, it's like sports has always been what have you done for me lately. So there's always that mental health Mm -hmm. aspect, I think, for players. And I mean, they talk about players getting in their head and, you know, we can kind of get into it a little bit, even though it might activate a little bit my own PTSD, but... I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about just kind of your take on Markel Fultz and kind of there's been a lot of fallout, not only just about, you know, how did Philadelphia treat him, but also I was even thinking of it today a little bit kind of in parallel to the Okafor situation where it's like we gave a player as many chances as we could and we really wanted to embrace them. But after a while, it kind of felt like as fans, the fingers were pointed back at us, but we're the fans with that reputation. So I, I kind of wanted you to just like, mm-hmm. you're a fan, obviously, but outside perspective, you live in Seattle, you know a little bit more mental health, like you living through those at like Okafor and Fultz situations, like what's your read of just like talking to fans like rationally, you know, to say, okay, I understand that you're upset because the player didn't, you know, pan out this way, but, like, what would be your rational way of talking to the the regular NBA fan and be like, hey, therapy session, it's going to be okay that Markel Fultz didn't pan out. Me and Bobby might legitimately need that, so you're on the clock. We will pay you. Um, <laughs> uh, and... I guess are you are you are you asking more like how to get over the disappointment no, but when I that guess happens, it's just like, or or how to like it's it's kind of the back and forth though it's like I, I want to s- know the player side of being a player who's young in the league and you're struggling and you have high expectations and I know you won't know that for sure because sorry Max no offense but you've never been that good of a draft prospect um, but you know you have a little bit more probably tap in and understanding of what they might have went through under that scrutiny. But then also as a fan, when you feel like you're supporting Markel Fultz, and I remember I was in the bathroom when he hit his first three and almost wanting to cry because I was the biggest Markel Fultz fan. And I got a bobblehead for Secret Santa that I still have, and I can't throw it away because part of me still wants him to succeed. But, like, you know, there is this weird, like, two-sidedness of it where we both feel betrayed. Like, Markel Fultz feels, you know, Mm -hmm. somewhat betrayed by the Sixers, but... Sixers fans feel somewhat betrayed by Markel Fultz, but at the end of the day, it just didn't work out, and everybody's fine for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I try to think about this, and I'm not perfect either. Like, try to think about this in, in just like all the interactions I have with people as much as I can. That like people are generally doing the best they can, right, with whatever it is, right? Like that person at work who you feel like is the biggest asshole and like is always like making things more difficult and you just go like that, that person that you, when you go home are frustrated about, it's like that person probably is not like, if they could choose not to be that way, wouldn't be that way. Yeah. Right. And I think like for me, I try to think about with whether it's Royce white and his anxiety or it's, uh, 
Okafor and whatever the issues were that led to him not panning out, uh, whatever it was that happened with Markel Fultz's jumper, like, you know, I it's like tragic because I, I see that and I'm like, this person, if they if they could do if they could be doing something different, they would they would. Yeah. Right. And and that's not like a choice thing. It's like there are a lot of things that go into that. There are environmental factors. There's someone's mental health. Right. And just their their chemistry. Um, so I try to like, I guess, have that perspective and like not. I'm not perfect, but like trying to not uh, vilify the person and like try to think about it systemically, but it's hard. Yeah. Right. Like as a sports fan, especially it's like you, you, a lot of times it's, it's easy to not think about Markel Fultz as an actual person. And that sounds cliche, but like to not think about the fact that like, this is like a 19 year old kid, like, and think about where I was when I was 19 and like, holy shit, if I had to like have that amount of scrutiny and like bleacher report posting, you know, memes of my my free throw and like everyone tweeting at me every day it's like i can't imagine how i would have handled that like, and as a defensive my, my mental health was not great yeah. for like way dumber reasons than that yeah and i think you know as a kind of rowdy fan base too we were taking some of his you know sub instagrams as wow why is he taking shots at philadelphia fans and i think things we know now might suggest that markel fultz had people in his life that he truly was betrayed by and felt betrayed by and that's a lot of things that went into it. And people who are talking now, like, wow, look, Markel's doing so well in Orlando. It, it's just a little disheartening to me as a Sixers fan because I'm like, he's still doing a lot of the things he was doing in Philadelphia. Like, he's still, you know, we saw that kind of piece of him right before he finally never played for us again, where he was really an efficient driver. He was, you know, making an impact on the game. He had that triple-double that, you know... At the end of the one season, we're pouring the water bottle on his head. He also broke a bead's face. So I, I'll be upset him for that. But even the flip side, I feel like we should have braced Okafor more. I mean, the guy went to Boston and tried to fight a bunch yeah. of Celtics fans. So, like, it, it's kind of, you know, a, a thing for me where it's like we were so hard on Okafor when I think a lot of people were like, man, I, I was right on that guy. You know, like, I knew he wasn't good on defense. And he was trying really hard. I mean, he went vegan just to... Make his body harder, but like was he? He he really was. I really <laughs> truly believe that if he and I mean his career is something right now, and it, give him at least the credit that he didn't just give up the way that you know Joel said it too. He you know after a while it's like why try? I mean, Gila could have went to China like Starbury and tried to cash out or go to Turkey or something or you know like you know talk about Markel Markel the same way. Like it's not like he wanted his shoulder to be messed up and we were all happy and like rooting for him, but we just felt hurt because we wanted it so bad for him. And when it was Orlando, I think a lot of us were relieved and we didn't want to hear anything other than, you know, Orlando's didn't make the playoffs, but Markel had a great season and made the all-star game like that. I feel like that's what we all wanted. It was just mediocrity for Orlando while Markel was actually the player that we wanted to see because as a basketball fan, we wanted to see Markel Fultz. I wanted to see Markel Fultz even when I thought he was going to the Celtics. I'll admit it. I wanted to see Markel Fultz on the Celtics more than I wanted to see Lonzo Ball on the Sixers, even if that reality came true. Kind of related to what we were just talking about, Max, as someone who's a professional um therapists in the field of psychology and stuff like that how do you feel when fans and people in the media maybe more so 
um, try to like analyze what's going on in a player's head um, when they're going off like basically body language and like maybe quotes or Instagram. Like as someone who I'm presuming actually talks to people and uh, tries to help them get to the root of their problems. Like how does that make you feel? I I mean, I think it's it's frustrating when you see it because I think a lot of times it's misplaced, right? Like with Markel Fultz or with uh, like Embiid at times when he was like gaining weight and there's all this stuff like, oh, he's not mentally yeah. tough or there's a character issue there or whatever it is. Or Simmons like, is too like um, aloof. Um, he's not a leader. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think like so much of it is, I mean, I, I just think it's so, di- that that stuff is all visible and it's whatever and you can have opinions about it. But I feel like the, the part that I take issue with is it gets um, conflated with mental health uh, in a way that I think is like, especially with folds uh, gets conflated with mental health. Like, Oh, he is like struggling mentally or he has anxiety and this is why. And it's like, the reality is as someone who talks to clients, like most people in most people who are struggling um, in whatever ways until they get to a point where they're willing to talk about it openly, like Kevin Love, like Royce White, right? Like as a therapist, you hear a really different story than what that person is telling everyone else in their life most of the time. So like to think that you can watch Markel Fultz, like see what he's posting on his Instagram story and like get a sense of where he's at mentally. It's like, who knows where he's at mentally? Like hardly anyone knows. Like people, I I see people whose families, whose spouses, whose closest friends don't know the ways they're struggling or uh, what they're struggling with. So it, I think that's the thing. Is that it's like you can't really <laughs> tangibly see mental health. And I think people, you know, see a post, hear a quote after a game, watch body language and try to diagnose and like, I just think it's a totally different thing. So it is frustrating to see. Yeah. That. One of the more. And I also think it's like stigmatizing in a way that's not helpful. Yeah. One of the more interesting things um, about the fact that the current mental health initiative in the NBA has been spurred by Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan is that like, they're not guys that you would necessarily expect that from like maybe love because he struggled a little bit with the Cavs, but like everyone's been in a weird professional situation and then, like, what, like, what is the thing that you, as a stupid like sports talk radio fan, would say gives Demar Derozan like a mental health issue, like that he's not teammates with Kyle Lowry anymore? Like that stuff is probably not what is causing these guys to have anxiety or whatever. And they're not the guys that you would expect to be spearheading this initiative until they did it. Yeah, and also like, I mean, think about. Uh, for the two of you and anyone listening, it's like, think about the, the, the shit that you get anxious about. And then, like, think about if you were an NBA player and the, the stakes and, like, the level, like, how many eyes are on you. Like, you know, you get nervous, like, sending an email when, like, the CEO is attached. And then, like, you're Ben Simmons playing a basketball game in the playoffs, right? It's like, I, I think it's it's kind of silly to think that there isn't more widespread anxiety that is it's not just kevin love and demar Derozan, right it's probably tons of guys who aren't talking about well, that or who just see it as who don't like don't verbalize it as anxiety it's it, it in the same way that kevin love didn't know he was having a panic attack because people don't talk about it and you know he's just feeling this intense anxiety probably has felt 
some level of anxiety over his life leading up to that, not necessarily into a panic attack, but like it's not talked about. So you just think it's normal or you, you know, think it's how you should yeah, feel. For the record, yeah. I get nervous uh, shooting free throws at the end of a close game in NBA 2K. Yeah, like I, my heart is beating <laughs> yeah. too fast during video games before. But that kind of even leads to my next question, which means me and Bobby are playing off each other well. High five. We did it. Um, anyway, sorry about that, Max, that you didn't get to high five us uh, in Seattle. But, um, you know, I think that's one thing that I really wanted to kind of talk about is, you know, I mentioned earlier being a fan. And as Sixers fans, I think we particularly torture ourselves a lot. And it's part of the reason why I stepped away from Twitter was we live in a very hot take world. And we also live in a world where even the national writers kind of have to put out something for every game. And it's it's always... There, So every Sixers loss, I see something of, you know, okay, the the Sixers are broken. How do you fix this? Every Sixers win, it's this is the most dangerous team in the league. Look what they just did to the Bucs on Christmas Day. And the reality is somewhere in between that the Sixers have some problems, but they're a really good team and they're a contender. And once you kind of set yourself back to that expectation and you do the math of how many games they're going to win this year, the reality is the East is just better than it was before. That's all it really is. They have flaws. I'm, mm-hmm. I get frustrated. I get concerned. But at the end of the day, I, I'm watching the Sixers. I'm not watching the Magic or Bulls who are fringe playoff teams that may never have the stars they need to even be you know, relevant. And I try to stay you know, blessed with that. But then I think about those players who... You know, they don't get to have social media the same way that we do. And I, I know that's kind of a celebrity thing is that, like, you know, there's some celebrities, you know, stay off social media or won't check their comments or anything. But, like, I know players mm-hmm. who have come out in interviews and said, yeah, this summer I had to delete all my social media accounts because I was too in my head reading what people were saying about me. And now in this world, like, if you see any kind of like minor loss, even though it's a minor loss, you can get as much negative feedback loop as you need to make that loss feel like it's losing the championship. And I, I kind of want your perspective yeah. as somebody who kind of, you know, was crafting some of the the content, obviously on a more neutral um, team level, but as you've kind of seen, you know, the, the sports media world just evolve in general. And you would also be on the receiving end of a lot of vitriol, I'm sure, uh, running the account because you're just that's people tag at Sixers when they're pissed off. Yeah. Like, how did that affect you? Yeah. And how would you like maybe compare that to how it might affect a player just to, to extrapolate it? Yeah, it's funny. Like I had so for for a long time on my tweet deck, I had all the Sixers mentions like when I was working for the team that was like before you scroll over at all, uh, you would see that. It was like the first column. And it was probably like six months after I stopped working for the Sixers that I took that off because I still was like, you know, you you end up seeing news. You get like a sense of what's going on. Like I felt I, I wasn't even running the account anymore. And it was like such so much anxiety was lifted, <laughs> like just not seeing all that negativity all the fucking time. It's like why I don't read the comments on Donald Trump's tweets, yeah. right? Like, or, or I try to, like, stay out of that because it's just, like, I'm just going to see a bunch of stuff that's going to piss me off. And that's, like, not thoughtful. And whether I agree with it or not, it's just, like, it's kind, it's either nothing to me or it's going to piss me off. So, it's, like, yeah. I, I can't imagine as a player, it's, it's so enticing to, like, just hit your notifications tab and, like, see what people are saying, right? Or name search yourself. Or just, like, 
see it because you get tagged right in in some subtweet of you like it's i probably wouldn't have social media i i like think about getting rid of twitter all the time but like if i was an nba athlete i probably wouldn't have it just for that reason that it's like i was at a sixers game where isaiah thomas legitimately walked up to a guy whose only response to calling him a bitch was i just wanted a frosty and then that became its own social media storm but like i mean that that kind of got to me in a moment like of you know i was at that game and i was like oh my god like i hope one of our fans didn't say something horrible and he still said a bad word he said bitch which is a word that i rebuke and i don't believe that you should have said it especially isaiah thomas who i have a lot of respect for that man and i i'm still upset kind of how the celtics treated them after not just the death of his mm-hmm. sister getting his teeth knocked out and how he, he he's really given a lot and he confronted that fan, and, I mean, he didn't hit him. I mean, I understand why what Isaiah did was wrong, why he shouldn't, but it's, like, kind of like some of the stuff we talked about earlier with Royce. It's like, yeah, maybe Royce could have done something different, but I have no problem with what Isaiah did because he just got to the point where it's like, look, man, if you're going to keep saying these things at me, say it to my face. And then the guy said, I just wanted a Frosty. And it's like, it was, you know... And it's like it's Twitter in a yeah. nutshell, right? It's like it's it's social media generally that it's and it's not even just about like not seeing the person behind the the what you're tagging, but like that it's like it just allows people to say shit that they wouldn't say in any other setting, yeah, right? And that used to be reserved for like the seven hundred level, and now it's just like constantly inundated with yeah, it yeah. in your mentions and like. It's just different in that way. Like you, as a player, you used to be able to turn on WIP and hear callers. But like, if you didn't do that, you were pretty much good, right? Yeah. Or uh, you'd see stories in the newspaper. You'd get asked questions at a press conference or at the game, right? Fans would yell something. But outside of that, you you didn't really have to deal with as much. Yeah, and it, yeah, you, you could escape. And, and it we're getting to easily. a world where people are debating the fan power and the player power too, of just like player movement and then fan reaction to player movement and i personally love all of the the movement because it's fun for me but like philadelphia fans just get too emotionally invested in teams in general so Mm -hmm. you know i think we're all just like ready to cry if joel Embiid even utters the word trade even if he was talking about i'm glad we did that trade like you know but it I think it's starting to realize in a lot of ways that, like, yeah, fans are always anxious, but that's always how sports has been. That's always been the self-inflicted wound of sports. But the players were always, like, supposed to be the tough guys, and they're still facing that stigma. It's always, well, a hockey player, you know, like, you know. And now we're moving to this world of Isaiah Thomas, if he was in today's NBA, I don't think the league would have let him play on the ankle. I think the league would have stepped in and said, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, Pistons, no. But every, but I'm talking about the original Isaiah Thomas, the one from the 80s, like, that was considered, mm-hmm. like, one of the toughest, coolest performances. But you look back, that's kind of not cool that he had to play through such yeah. pain. And, yeah, they won the championship, and you, you like admiral that but i know people were mad at at lebron for resting in game 17 and it's like uh, it doesn't matter for lebron in game 17 they're gonna make the playoffs and it matters for lebron in game you know potentially 100 you know and and that's really where it's just getting like kind of contentious because the league's got its objectives the fans have obviously their rooting interests but the players right now are learning so much more that their spans are short 
and you know they have to squeeze as much as they can out of their careers and the backlash has mostly been against the players versus the owners which is something me and bobby talk about all the time Mm so i don't know if you have any perspective on that as well just like you know there's been players that get a lot of money and i remember evan turner you know i was so excited for him but i kind of chuckled when he got four years 80 million dollars but that was the league you know upping the cap too much too quickly but at the same time who who are you to say evan turner doesn't deserve four years 80 million dollars a private company gave evan turner four years 80 million dollars i've seen people even argue oh that could have went to a teacher and i'm like yeah but I understand teachers are underpaid and I agree with you and I want teachers to get paid more, but this is a league based on revenue sharing. They're getting 50% of what they generated. So it's just so funny to me sometimes like the, the cognitive dissonance when people are talking about like, yeah, if you're a billionaire, you worked hard, but if you're a millionaire NBA player, but you're a role player and you're getting paid more than the top QB, it's like, well, each NBA player is probably worth a lot more than each NFL player, I'm sorry that Tom Brady isn't paid forty like million dollars a year, but frankly, LeBron James should be paid like seventy million dollars a year. So, yeah. what I'm basically hearing is the players need to reclaim them. Yeah, I think that's what me and Bobby are trying to say in every episode for the most part. Yeah, LeBron <laughs> should get paid seventy million dollars a year, and then everything over two hundred fifty thousand dollars should be taxed ninety percent. Well, and, and it could be both. And I will say, going back to my college days, the best class I ever took was labor relations and sports. And basically, it was just a study of here's how the owners have been trying to fuck the players for years, and here's how slowly the players have gone gotten power back. It's really disheartening when the people are against them. So I guess just like, you know, I don't want to be like the bookworm and be like, I'm smarter than you or anything, but do you ever really like, you know kind of think about that just you know it's like okay evan turner makes four million or four years 80 million and this quarterback makes four years 60 million it's like do you ever just like get really angry or do you just kind of accept it it's just like man that's just sports honestly i never i never really get mad about uh about that about about athletes right like i i definitely am someone who thinks that we probably shouldn't have people who are making that much money, but like if anyone's going to make $30 million in a year, I'd rather it be LeBron James than some fucking hedge fund. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm more upset at the ownership of the Sixers than I am at any player, you know, Al Al Horford being overpaid. Right. Like I, and I think more and more you're seeing that. And I think that speaks more to like a political moment, like Bernie Sanders and whatever and democratic socialism, taking more hold and also younger people uh not having that stigma about it but i think like i see less hate for players who are making too much money or not playing up to their contract and more like clowning on owners than i ever remember yeah definitely a shift um i have a couple comments first uh and i'd i'd like to hear your thoughts on this um i think that a lot of the reason that people hate Kevin Durant so much is that he's so relatable. Like, I feel like if I was, <laughs> if as like online poisoned as my brain is, like if I suddenly skyrocketed to fame, I would be like shooting back at randoms on you Twitter. Game search yourself yeah. all the time. Myself, yeah. Like, 
That'd be the worst. He's like not a cool guy, and like most people are not cool. Yeah. And he's super, <laughs> seemingly. I, again, I, this is not. I don't want to do what I just cautioned against doing twenty minutes ago and put mental health <laughs> issues on him that he doesn't have. But he seems like a very uncool, insecure guy, and I feel like a lot of people see that and they see themselves in it and they see the parts of themselves they don't like in it and they're like, okay, fuck that dude, and. It's kind of like saying, fuck the parts yeah. of myself that I don't like. Well, and I think I could say on the flip side, I don't like Steph Curry because I think he's like corny because he's the best player in the, the league and I want him to be like super cool. But that might just be me projecting. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's what the I, same thing as Durant, though. Like, well, yeah, the, like I want him to be cool. super cool. But with Durant, the thing was, I liked Durant's game early and I thought the Thunder were cool, so I had already had a soft spot for him. Whereas Steph Curry is just, like, I never had any connection to, like, the Warriors or, like, or anything like that. Obviously, Max is hating me right now for bringing up the Thunder. But, um, you know, it was just, like, <laughs> I really enjoyed watching these young kids in Oklahoma City, like, out of nowhere, you know, go to the finals. And it broke my heart when James Harden was traded. Like, I knew. Like, I didn't know James Harden was going to be James Harden, but I knew we'd lost something special. And I think a lot of people did. I mean, the articles the day after were, like, cheapness might have just robbed us of the greatest team of all time like i remember somebody wrote that article i can't say for sure if that's true but yeah. i know bill simmons before he kind of got a little still talks about it yeah he was very upset but yeah and then you talk about that with like other things like markel and and stuff like that it's just like we can play revisionist history as as much as we want but at the end of the day like you know, we're here in this NBA and we're only getting better and the entertainment's great. LeBron James is the only dude who can rise up and block the shot that Andre Iguodala put up. Like, he, like, athletically. Like, it, in my mind, in the world that, like, just timing, speed, understanding of the game. Like, LeBron James' classic block in Game 7 of the Finals that, like, after, right before Kyrie, like, hits the dagger to seal it. In my mind, only LeBron James can do that. Now, honestly, probably other players in the league can, but the whole point being, other players in the league that are also athletic, now, there are a lot of CEOs in the world, and they get paid the same amount, and then we're told, like, you know, yeah, they, it's not fair, but I do think what you're hitting at, Bobby, now is, like, people got away from the money thing. Now they're like, okay, we want our players to be cool, we want them to be marketable and the team's trying the owners are trying to take it back a little bit i think and say share our politics yeah but i think the owners are trying to take it back a little bit and say okay let's make the nba fun and i and that's one thing i really do enjoy about the nba i know that tangent seemed like it was kind of out of nowhere but i do think that at least the nba recognizes out of some of the stuff that does really bother me where the nfl is restricting a lot of things and baseball is always wondering how do we get more fans do we speed up the game and Hockey is always like, please watch my sport. <laughs> no, no offense to anybody who said that, but basketball really embraces fun, diversity, other countries, going to other countries, bringing players from other countries. And I do think we don't give those owners as much credit for what they do. Um, but I do think, you know, now we look at the players and we're like, we want you to be the coolest guy ever. And like, I can say I loved Jimmy Butler because of some of his swagger and the chip on his shoulder. And now he's in Miami, and I'm like, fuck that guy. You know, like, it's just kind of, I don't know Jimmy Butler. You don't know Kevin Durant. I don't well, know it's Steph also, Curry. It's, it's, a, 
it, the other thing about social media too, it's like it's also you're seeing what these guys are like. You're getting a better sense of Kevin Durant's personality than you ever knew about, like even Michael yeah. Jordan, right? Like you just didn't know. You knew what you saw. You knew who he was in a press conference. You knew who he was on the court. And like whatever stories you read, you didn't know what he was thinking all the fucking yeah. time, right? And it's like, I'm sure the two of you have had the experience of like being really into a band or really into an actor or sh- like whatever and following that person on Twitter and be like, oh, they fucking yeah, suck. Yeah, yeah. Like this, like kind of ruins it for you. You're like, oh, it's never beat your like heroes. Guitarist in this <laughs> yeah. band, such an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, right. It's just like so full of themselves, but like, or is lame. Right. And I, I think it's, I think it's just a, the reality is like, we're seeing a lot, like the curtain has been pulled back. And the reality is that like, these guys are just normal guys who've had the, an experience that's drastically different from most of any of us. Uh, but f- like, there's nothing uh, genetically that is, is there's no correlation between uh, being six, eight and athletic and capable of playing NBA basketball and being cool all the time and not having anxiety and all these other things, right? They're, they're people like yeah. us. Uh, yeah. Yeah with a lot of pressure and whatever and like a rapper or now we're seeing like a that. rapper or an actor like part of their job is to be charismatic and likable so like mm-hmm. they're more likely to like actually be cool when you get behind the curtain a little bit that's not a part of Kawhi leonard's life at all yeah, it's not a part of <laughs> an athlete's life outside yeah. of like marketing they're not maximus Decimus meridius Having to put on a show in Gladiator. Anybody like, who lived in they the don't... Philadelphia area while Mike Richards was like on the team and saw any car commercial will tell you Mike Richards should never be in front of a camera. Yeah, LeBron James didn't get on the cover of Sports Illustrated because he was like a really cool guy that was funny. He got on because he was six foot eight and two hundred twenty pounds at sixteen and could slam dunk anyone through the fucking yeah. hoop. But I I do want to say though. And it's why it's why guys like Embiid stand yeah. out, right? Because like he's actually cool and funny, right? For the most part, and like that is yeah. rare, right? It's rare to to have. But I, I really enjoy it when the players are themselves too, because it it makes me proud to be an NBA fan when I watch LeBron. And frankly, you know, I, I had a little bit of heartbreak when he went to LA over Philly when Philly was never a real option and LA didn't deserve it in my eyes. But um, you know, he's been a player that's become more himself as he's gotten more comfortable. I mean, there was so much of the stigma of just he hasn't won a championship yet, so he's never going to be a legend. And then he started winning a bunch of championships and rewriting his legacy, and he still gets the negative feedback of, he'll never be as good as Jordan, and it's always that debate. But he's himself. He he, he does these Sprite commercials, but you kind of feel like he likes Sprite. He does these, like barbershop you know like segments and you can tell he cares about that he opens a school for children and does a commercial to show you like hey like i did this and you could do this and you know there's always you know advertising dollars and stuff lebron's probably got sponsorships up the butt i know that one's i think a nike commercial just do it but lebron james made me Mm -hmm. so happy to be an nba fan like it's just like and i think that's what really drew me away from the NFL was I was always a diehard Eagles fan, but Chip Kelly made it really unfun to watch the the Eagles. And then yeah. Tom Brady's the best player in the league, but he's kind of out really a bad person. And the, te- the le- league has not punished the Patriots for very clear cheating. But then you go to the NBA and it's like every team's got a personality. And, you know, we were 
Sad to lose yeah. you to the Clippers, Max. I think that's something Bobby was really upset about. Oh, no, wait, that's sorry, sorry, somebody else. No, but like we were upset that Kurt even went to LA because we loved his content so much. That's like that was part of the team for us. Yeah. And we joke that he's a traitor, but you know, we also don't know what Kurt's motivations were. And I'm very happy and excited for him. And I hope that if it's not the Sixers this year, it's the Clippers that win the championship so Kirk can get a ring. Like it's And also so it's not the Lakers. Yes. But you know, the point being just like I, I think you made a lot of good points that this league is moving in a positive direction. Are there any things though, I just I know we're going, you know, kinda of into a full hour here, but is there anything that you just as like a mental health person, just as casual fan now though, but just you, you watch and you go, I just wish this was better. In the NBA, yeah, I mean, or sports in general, just like as a mental health perspective, or even just as a fan perspective. And can I tack on to that before you answer, and then we can let you go? Um, yeah. So one of the big non-basketball stories around the NBA in the last couple of weeks was the video that was released of Delonte West um, being abused by a yeah. cop and just seeming like he's in a really bad way, uh, which anyone that knows of Delonte West is not a surprise. He's... I believe he's bipolar, um, struggled for probably over a decade at this point, uh, very publicly, uh, with his mental health and with the law. And all of this is happening while the NBA is doing this mental health awareness push. Um, When you're talking about how you wish things could be better in the NBA and sports, how would you like the NBA to handle situations like that where they're former players, like how... How would you like the Players Association to push for retirement benefits and things like that that could help someone like Delonte? Yeah, I you know I don't know the specifics of what the NBA is or isn't doing, um, but like just I did see the video and like I I think when I when I see that it's like and see the reaction to it right because it it was really sensationalized and you have it's getting you know played on local news even in like places where you know that have no connection to delante west like i saw it on seattle local tv like i just i happen to have it on in the background and they like former nba player delante west and they're just showing this guy like who's clearly at least like is dealing with with substance abuse issues and like seemingly pretty severe mental health issues and it's like Again, I don't know what the NBA is or isn't doing, but I I wish the reaction to that were more in line with that same thing that we were talking about earlier, where like Delonte West, because of the the his mental health, because of you know I remember reading some stuff from his history and like he had a pretty rough upbringing and and trauma throughout his life and like you know just I guess having more of a mindset that like people aren't choosing to to live like Delonte West is living right now. And it's like the same thing when you, um, whether it's homelessness or it's, you know, addiction, like people are doing the best they can and sometimes they're still struggling. And I, I do wish the NBA would, it's sad that now you have, you know, I saw some stuff and it seems like the NBA is like reaching out or is like trying to jump on this now, but it sucks that it, it takes someone tweeting out a video of him, you know, losing it in public for for the NBA. Yeah, to get surely involved. they've like it shouldn't get. Surely to they've point. known that he's in a bad way for a while. People, he has ex teammates. He has um, Phil Martelli in the same 
like the whole St. Joe's basketball program. And um, surely there have been channels for this to get back to them. And yet they're not reaching out until it's all over everyone's timeline. It's kind of disappointing to me. But again, yeah. you know, we don't know what happened with those people either. And it, it it's also, you know, a struggle for me as somebody who deals with mental health and very prideful. And I, I'm sure Delante, you know, he does look like he's hit a very low point in his life, but pride still can be very strong. And maybe he didn't let them know how bad it was. So it is disappointing. I, I wish the NBA had something in place that could have kept him a little bit you know, more involved in the NBA or maybe something a little bit more to mentor him when he was going through some things or somebody noticed. But I, I do think that that's why we need to just do better by people like Delonte West. And then when we get more people coming out like Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, but even the Royce Whites who haven't done a single thing in the league yet, but man, they're under that CBA too. They, they are subject to that and that's one of those things that people don't even understand is that um they write into collective bargaining agreements that even the people who are um subject to be drafted are subject to the rules of the collecting bargaining agreement so a lot of times players are not you know when they go to the table thinking about the next generation they're thinking about their you know the problems they see i think those players are starting to get it now too Mm -hmm. because they went through it and they went wow this didn't really work out for me and I'm really kind of excited to see the next round of strikes, not because I'm any kind of political, but, you know, not necessarily strikes because I don't like missing games because I still enjoy the sport. But, you know, the next round of what can the players push for? Because I'm always excited to see, you know, I really think they deserve it. They put on the product that I see every week and I don't think anybody else could do it the way they do it. And yeah, maybe Joel Embiid and Russell Westbrook can do that block that I talked about with LeBron earlier, but... I know I can watch LeBron and that's an experience that I want to pay for. And you can call it just entertainment or just basketball, but I know I'm only getting it from LeBron and that's what's so cool. Yep. I mean, the the question is, is more about like how much is entertainment worth? Not if you're assuming entertainment's worth what we're paying for it or what it's receiving, like how is that divvied up fairly? And right now it's not fair at all, right? Like the players are the product and they're getting yeah. half and you know, whatever percentage is going to employees, like most of it's going to investors, right? Owners, uh, people who own minority stakes, uh, TV executives, right? Or people like, and also people are not looking for profit of necessarily Disney and whatever from like, their team. They just want to have a team. There are a few yeah. cheap owners that are like, I can't afford this, but like for the most part, this, these are people's yeah. like play toys and, I don't want to get into that whole bag of worms right now because that could be its own episode. But I mean, we saw it years ago with the Clippers where the owner, you know, came out very racist, would basically tout his players as trophies. So, you know, I, I'm glad we saw that moment. I remember working for the 87ers and the whole office stopped and that was a big moment in the NBA and everybody stopped what they're doing to watch Adam Silver. And even though I had some problems with him now, I, I, I was so filled with pride and joy to hear my league say, Mm-hmm. no this is wrong this man is out of the league like i don't care if he owns the team but again so but again it's kind of like the delonte yeah. west situation right where it's like 
it's or or like anything else like harvey weinstein or like, you know it's all these things where it's like it's yeah. known right and it's only once it becomes known yeah, to the public that really it's like okay now we gotta so do something it's, right it's yeah it's really still something though it's like we need to be more proactive than reactive um but you know i think that's something that you know, I, I, I'm trying to do in my own life. Uh, I'm trying to do that, you know, when I even watch sports, just be proactive in the idea of telling myself this game doesn't affect how I work tomorrow. It's not. And one of my favorite articles ever yeah. is still from Liberty Ball, as I mentioned it recently. And uh, um, I know Bobby has respect for him. I don't know if you've ever met him or had interactions, but Michael Bauman's article on Liberty Ballers is still one of my favorite to this day mm-hmm. that my team is not a reflection of who I am as a person. And he just kept repeating that and it was the 10 lost season it was just like my team is not a reflection of who i am as a person because i remember that 10 win the team and then an article comes out and maybe a bead's not gonna ever come and it just you really feel like that's a low point you know how much time did i invest how much of my emotions and it, it, it it's something you know we kind of again self-inflicted but i think even as me and Bobby, we, we get worked up very easily. Like, and he knows it and I know it. We've seen each other get really worked up, but I think we've gotten better even at just kind of helping each other and being like, we both know this isn't going to undo the Sixers. Like, you know, this is, we're still get we're still lucky. Yeah. So Max, I, I, well, and even yeah. if it, and even if it does undo the Sixers, yeah, yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> right. Like I yeah. like to tell my, I like to think about like, Okay, how am I how am I gonna feel about this tomorrow? How am I gonna feel about it in a week, in a month, in yeah. a year, five years? And like most things in my life that I'm like pretty upset about in the moment, it's like I'm probably not gonna give it. Yeah, shit and I, I yeah I, I, like, definitely it, try to keep that. Or maybe a month. That's a good right? exercise. Yeah. Well, Max, I know, I know we're going a little over hour here uh, in Seattle. It's a little bit earlier, but you know I'm sure you've had a, a busy day already. So we want to thank you so much for coming on to the show giving us a, a perspective definitely we haven't had before, not just a therapist, but also kind of just an inside look at the sports world that people wouldn't see. But one thing we always like to do before we end the show is something we call plugs. So we're going to turn the actually table back over to you one last time. So we made some allusions to some of the things you do, but we just want you to, you know, go ahead, plug whatever you want. Doesn't need, need necessarily need, even need to be your projects. Tell us what you're excited about, what you want the world to know. Uh, ooh, that's that's <laughs> tough. I'll plug my own thing just because that's the thing that's on the back <laughs> of my head. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. That's what we expected. Um, it was the podcast. <laughs> uh, go and listen to the Step Over podcast. Uh, it's me and Jim Adair talking about Sixers, uh, other random stuff most of the time. Uh, other things I'm excited. Uh, apparently about. nothing. All right, Bobby, what do you have to plug? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing. Max yeah. is excited about nothing. Bobby, are you excited about anything? Uh, not really. Okay, great. Um. <laughs> I will plug something. Um, I plugged it already, but my Twitch is very close to affiliate, and I'm getting really more excited. And me and Bobby um, found out that we uh, probably shouldn't play Call of Duty, but found out that there may be a device that allows us to play Super Mario Strikers on Twitch, which is the only game that matters. So that's really good news for everybody in the world who's been waiting for that. Um, But yes, again, Max, I want to say thank you so much. I know, you know, again transcontinental you know time zones and just fitting in your busy schedule we couldn't thank you enough and i i just really loved your perspective bobby you know i'll, I'll let you yeah uh thank you so much max uh this was a really great chat um a lot of stuff that's been weighing heavily on my mind recently um you know as far as 
the MBA's relationship with mental health. Uh, you've helped me talk through in a constructive way. So I uh, really appreciate your time. Oh, one last question. Who are the Sixers trading yeah, for? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, CJ McCollum. Yeah, there it is. My, oh, yeah. That's my... Uh, my thirty footer. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely uh, came up with the weird. I my group chat probably hates me now because I came up with a trade where we get CJ McCollum, we traded Al Horford, but I added like three to five different teams that don't need to be involved. Uh, but on that note, yeah, if you want to, a... if you want to see my trade machines, you can definitely uh, contact me directly. I will do that for you all day. All right, that's a great way to end. Sixers <laughs> yeah. got CJ McCollum. Thanks, Max. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Max, for CJ McCollum. Right. That see was Erotica. Thanks for listening.